before we study the word, let's pray. Father, as we come into your presence, we come with baggage. And you told us to leave it at the door. The baggage of our sin, our fear, and our shame. Father, you know everybody in this place, and you know the places that are hard. Be the God of our tears and our darkness. And some of us are doing pretty good. Father, be the God of our joy and our laughter. Draw us to yourself. And in your presence, may we see who we are and what this is all about and the rest of the story. Father, as always, we pray for the one who teaches this evening. Forgive him his sins, because there are many. We would see Jesus and him only, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was Sandlot baseball. It was no big deal. It happens all over the country when kids get together, choose sides, and play baseball in the summer. Uh, the kid who was there wasn't chosen. <laughs> they chose both the teams, and he was left out again. He said to himself, it doesn't matter. I don't give a rip. But he really did give a rip. It broke his heart. And the reason I know it broke his heart is that I was the kid. And it's one of the reasons as we talk this evening about the uninvolved and involving them that the text we're going to study is one of my favorites in the entire Bible. If you have a Bible or you have your smartphone or an iPad, I'm going to be reading from the seventh chapter of Luke and I'll start at the 36th verse. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, read whore there. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him a hundred denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? 
Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Oh, man. I have a friend in Nashville, Tennessee. I was up there for a grace conference two or three months ago and preached in his church on Sunday morning. He's a beloved friend, and his church is in the worst area of Nashville. And it's packed. It's become a mega church with ragamuffins. And when my friend, his name is Ray Ortland, got up to do the call to worship, I expected he would say what every preacher says, but he didn't. You know what he said? He said, if you are marginalized, if you have sinned and you have sinned big and you think God is through with you, if you are sometimes very lonely and afraid and depressed, is sometimes you're doubting and you wonder if you're even saved. Jesus says, welcome. You've come to the right place. But the problem is that they don't come to the right place sometimes. I love Northland. And if I were a pagan, I would still come here for the worship. I mean, the music is so cool and so good and so different, I would come, but most won't. So what do you do about the uninvolved? In a moment, we're going to talk about it, but first I want to go down a side road. And the side road is this. Sometimes the pain is so bad for those who are excluded that they will do anything to be included. I've taught this text a thousand times. Every time I teach it, I think, I think that's a dumb prostitute. You know, she's not only a sinner, she's dumb. And as Billy Sunday said, a sinner can repent, but stupid's forever. I mean, if you're going to crash a party, do not, if you're a prostitute, crash a party for Pharisees. I mean, if she had any smarts, she would have waited outside until the party was over. And when Jesus came out, she would have cornered him with her ointment and her tears. 
but she had to go in and cry. That's dumb. But this week, as I've looked at this text again, I've realized that it's not dumbness. It's pain. A number of years ago, Steve Camp brought a bunch of Christian musicians here to Orlando to do a concert and to raise money for AIDS research. He figured he ought to have a preacher as a part of it. So Steve called me up and said, would you come and say something spiritual? And I said I would. We had it, believe it or not. These were the days when Benny Hinn's church was in Orlando. We had it at Benny Hinn's church. We rented that place out. And it was a great evening. It really was. The music was outstanding. What I said was not half bad. It was just a, one of those nice evenings. One young man who was dying of AIDS got off his deathbed and he came to sing a duet with Steve Camp. It was so good. And then the young man gave his testimony. This is what he said. It wasn't about sex. It really wasn't. I would have loved anybody who loved me back. And so sometimes what we define as sin is just pain. Was with this lady, I, I'm glad that Jesus died for pain as well as sin. And I thought I would point that out. AA has a statement, and it's this, only a drunk can help a drunk. I agree with that. But let me tell you something else, too. Only somebody who is uninvolved can help somebody who is uninvolved. Only somebody who is excluded and shamed can help somebody who is excluded and shamed. So if you grew up in a normal family, you had friends all your life, you were always acceptable, your hair when you had it was in the right place, you, you were, went to the right parties and you knew the right people, this sermon's not for you this evening. God can't use you. Well, he can use you some places, but he can't use you here because you just don't understand. Let me tell you something. I suspect that almost everybody here this evening, no matter how smart you are, no matter how beautiful you are, no matter how acceptable you are, no matter how wonderful you are, I suspect that everybody here almost has had an experience of rejection and shame have been demeaned. I have a friend in Philadelphia whose mother died last week. He's winsome, he's a musician. He's got lots of friends. He walks into a room and the room lights up and he's really cool. I never thought he had a problem in the world until he told me that he had been rejected, he and his sister, by his mother. I'd met his mother years ago and kind of liked her, but underneath, she was a witch. She kicked them out. She wouldn't speak to them. She wouldn't answer their letters. And she didn't want them anywhere. I don't know how mother does this. Near her, even on her deathbed. And then she died, and they didn't know what to do. My friend 
wrote this to me. I remembered the story of an English soldier the day after World War I ended, finding a single flower on a battlefield in the middle of no man's land on the most decimated section of fighting soil of the entire war. His tears fell as he thanked God for this flower. The soldier justly and rightly believed that only God could have created something so beautiful in the midst of death and destruction and neglect. Judy, that's his sister, and I are flowers of war. The lifelong war of abandonment by a mother who chose not to love us. Yet the miracle of God and each other, we were humbly blessed with a heart to love and adore, having only been neglected and eventually abandoned. Who would have thought it? I had a staff member in a church I served once who was absolutely beautiful. She was the envy of all the women. And the guys would look at her a lot. She had friends. I mean, people followed her around. She was articulate. She was gifted in ministry and gifted in a lot of other ways. And I didn't think she had a problem either until the day she told me that 15 years before her father had rejected her. He won't answer my letters. I've tried and I can't get to him. And then she got the call from her brother in California that he was dying. And he said, if you want to see our dad one more time, you better come and you better come quick. She got on a plane in Miami and she flew to Los Angeles and rushed to the hospital and into her father's room. And she leaned over his deathbed and said, oh, daddy, I love you so much. And he opened his eyes and looked at her and said, I hate you, and died. Ugh. How you deal with that? Maybe you've had experiences like that. Maybe not as traumatic or as big, but real experiences of not being accepted, of being uninvolved, of being shamed, the pain of being excluded, and you don't want to talk about it, and you don't want to think about it anymore. This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, that's your life's verse. Stop it. Remember. Remember the pain that you felt. Remember the sense of exclusion and being left out that nobody cared who you were or what you were or wanted you to be a part of it. Because it is that remembrance that will make you effective in including the unincluded. All right, enough chit-chat. Let's check out the text. If you want to be used to include the unincluded, Frankly, you got to go to some weird places. I mean, who would have thought that Jesus was having dinner in a Pharisee's house? 
If you read Matthew 23, you know they didn't have a warm, fuzzy relationship. I mean, if Mary, Jesus' mother, had lost Jesus and was looking for him, the last place she would go would be a Pharisee's house. The Pharisee wouldn't want him, and Jesus wouldn't want them. And yet, there he is with the self-righteous, with the condemning, with the demeaning, in a Pharisee's house, having dinner. I had, I had lunch with Reggie Kidd on Friday. Some of you remember him. He said to say hello to you guys and that he loved you. Uh, Reggie and Sherry have three sons, and one is Charlie, and he is now serving as a missionary, but that hasn't always been true. Reggie sometimes would lead worship here, and he used an acoustic guitar, which he likes. And his son, Charlie, wanted to learn how to play an electric guitar. And Reggie doesn't like electric guitars, but he loves Charlie, so he learned how to play an electric guitar so they could play together. And then Charlie went even further in the area that Reggie doesn't like. He got into liking grunge bands, hard rock, loud as Moses in your ear kind of bands. <laughs> and Reggie said, ah, I hate that stuff, but I'm going to try to understand it because I love Charlie. One time, one of those rock, hard rock grunge bands uh, warehouse bands came to Orlando for a concert. And Reggie thought, you know, I can't stand that, but I ought to go with my son to the concert. So he said to Charlie, can I go with you? And Charlie said, Dad, I would love that. And so they went to this concert. And as you can imagine, Reggie kind of stood out. I mean, he was the old white guy in the midst of everybody dancing and shouting the music that was... And... Uh, this lady came over to Charlie, this young woman who had black fingernails and black uh, lipstick and purple hair and rings in funny places. And, and she said to Charlie, who's that man with you? Charlie said, that's my father. She said, you're kidding. And then she turned to Reggie. She looked him up and down and he said, and she said, you are one badass dad. <laughs> I loved it. They don't say that to us because we don't show up in places where we're uncomfortable. I mean, we want to hang out with our people, with people like us to do things that we like to do together. But you got to go sometimes to places where you don't feel very comfortable. I heard the other day about a Southern Baptist church planter who's planting a church in Boston. His friend said to him, what are you doing planting a Southern Baptist church in Boston? How do you find prospects? He said, I go to the supermarket, to the special foods area, and I watch for people who buy okra and grits. And, and then I invite them to my church. I guess, I guess, as it were, you have to eat some okra and grits if you want to involve the uninvolved. Let me tell you something else. If you're going to involve the uninvolved, you've you got to break some rules. 
you got to shatter some traditions of some things that you've thought about. I was talking to a beautiful young lady back in the green room before the service who's an intern here. She's going back to Alabama where she lives. And she said, I've learned so much. And this has been a wonderful time for me. But what I've learned mostly is that it's not what my culture says. It's what the Bible says. You have to break some traditions. You have to break some rules. Jesus did that. Please note that the reason Simon was upset with Jesus is because what was happening at that dinner party simply isn't done. Orthodox Jews couldn't be in the room with a prostitute, much less allow her to touch him. And there Jesus was not only allowing her to doing it, but praising her for it. You got to break some rules. We teach a born free seminar. And one of the statements we repeat over and over again is this. Live your life with such freedom that uptight Christians will doubt your salvation. <laughs> Live your life with such freedom that uptight Christians will doubt your salvation. That's what Jesus did. That's one of the reasons he went to the cross. You've read the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it was said but I say unto you, Jesus is still saying that. You have heard that it was said that there are some people you don't associate with because bad company ruins good morals. But I say to you, who is going to tell them? You've heard it said that Christians should eat Christian cookies and read Christian books and go to Christian music. But I say unto you, dance to the pagans' music and eat their food, because if you don't, they won't listen to a thing you say about me. You have heard that it's been said that some people are beyond the pale. You should shake off the dust from your feet, but I say unto you, that I live beyond the pale. Go there so they might know. We've had an awful time in Orlando at that Pulse bar. It's tragic beyond words. But you, but you know what's really tragic to me, for me? It's tragic that I wasn't there. Hmm. It's tragic that you weren't there because that is just not done. Gigi hmm. Graham, uh, and Billy Graham's daughter, I think she was trying to shock me and she does that often. <laughs> she said, I'm not gonna try to fix anybody anymore. I'm not going to be into church discipline. I'm not going to tell anybody they're wrong about anything. I'm just going to love people. And my eyebrows raised. And she saw it. And then she said, and I told my father. And he said, I was right. 
you got to go to some uncomfortable places and break some rules. You got to also set aside some agendas. The things that you would generally do set aside. That's what this prostitute did. She didn't have any agendas and Jesus didn't either set aside some agendas. My beloved African-American friend, Jerry Perry's is the pastor of the Christian Family Worship Center here in Orlando. And I love him a lot. We met together this past week to plan a grace encounter for Orlando with people coming from all over the country, black and white with black leadership. <laughs> we figured that with race divisions, as horrible as they are, it's up to the Christians to do something. The pagans can't. All they know is hatred and demeaning. So it's up to Christians. So we decided the gospel could make a difference and we're gonna have a grace encounter uh, as cheesy as it sounds, race is a part of grace. And, and so we met together this week, some of his black uh, leadership, and I brought along some honkies. And we we're sitting around his table making plans for this conference. And my beloved friend Jerry said, looking right at me, I don't know why he didn't look at everybody else. He said, Steve, you know, don't you, that most of the people in my community are Democrats. I said, yeah, not happy about it, but I understand that. And he said, and you're not. In fact, you're to the right of Genghis Khan. Can you deal with this? And I thought for a minute and I said, oh yeah. My agendas aren't worth deep. I have social agendas and I have political agendas better than yours. And I have denominational agendas and religious agendas. And they aren't worth a bag of chicken feet in the light of the presence of Jesus. So if you can't set them aside, don't go. Because you'll fight. and They'll never, ever here about, and I've got one other thing, and then I'm going to go have some dinner. I heard my tummy growl just a minute ago. After you have gone to uncomfortable places, broken some rules, and set aside your agendas, don't do anything else. Just watch what Jesus does. Let me tell you something. Simon, in this text, became a Christian. You say, where do you get that? That's not in the text. And it's nowhere in the New Testament. You're right. But I'm going to teach you something that nobody else will, and you won't find in the commentaries. Simon became a Christian. How do I know that? If you'll look at what Luke said, he said that Simon thought he did not speak. If this man were a prophet, he would know the kind of woman who's teaching him. He didn't say that. He thought it. And then Luke says, and Jesus answered Simon. What do you mean he answered Simon? Simon didn't say anything. Jesus was reading Simon's mind when he answered him. Now, 
Where in the world did we get that? Jesus knew that, but he doesn't go out telling people what others are thinking. So it must have come from Simon. And I would suggest that Simon would have never told it except in the context of his personal testimony. Simon would be with the people of God and he would say, you, you, you won't believe what I'm going to tell you. He was at my house having dinner and I was thinking some things that weren't very Christian. And he spoke to what I was thinking because he read my mind. Is that something else or what? Is Jesus something else or what? I've been reading a novel this past week, The Book of Strange New Things by Michael Faber. It's not a necessarily a Christian book, and I don't even know if he's a Christian. It's a very intriguing novel. It's about a young man who goes to an alien planet to be a missionary. When he gets there, the aliens are really alien. They, they don't have faces, maybe one eye, but he's not sure because they wear hoods. Uh, he doesn't know how many toes they have. He can't tell the men from the women or even the children from the adults. And he tries to learn their language, but he can't even pronounce it. So they learned his language so they could listen to the words, the strange words from the Bible. And then they began to learn how to name themselves. He can't name them, so they give themselves a name. And you know the name they give themselves? A number and a word about Jesus. Lover of Jesus, number one. Lover of Jesus, number three. Lover of Jesus, number 83. Lover of Jesus, number 42. <laughs> I have read that and I thought, you know, that wouldn't hurt us either. We've let the world define us. And we've let people in power who are religious define us. We're to be the standards of truth. We're to fix things. We are called to be the world's mother. Who told you that? We're not. We're called to be loved. And when we're loved enough to go into all the world. And so when you're marginalized, what should you do? Just let him love you. When you've sinned and blown it, what should you do? Nothing. Just let Jesus love you the way he loved this woman. When you doubt and you're afraid and you're lonely, just let him love you. And when you've been loved sufficiently, go into all the world and let the uninvolved smell Jesus. I started this by uh, talking about how I was rejected as a kid, often when I wanted to play baseball. I came back to that same field a month later because hope springs eternal. And as I taught you earlier, <laughs> you know, you do almost anything to get accepted, even get yourself hurt again 
So I went back to the same field. And as soon as I walked onto the field, the captain of one of the teams, a big guy that everybody looked up to, saw me, turned and said, I want you. And I thought he was talking to somebody else. I was looking around and I went, me? He said, yeah, I want you. What's your name? And I was chosen first. And let me tell you something. I played baseball that day. <laughs> I, I didn't play well, but I played hard. And I played with enthusiasm. Jesus did something not dissimilar for me. He said, I want you. And I said, me? I wouldn't choose me. I want you. And ever since he did that, I haven't played well, but I've played hard and with enthusiasm. And if you listen to what I taught you this evening, you know why. You think about that. Amen. Thanks for listening. And remember that videos of sermons from Steve are right here on the app. Just click the main menu button in the upper left corner, then click videos. Thank you.